I'm pretty sure uh, it's the elephant in the room, so let's recognize it. That AI is going to retrieve or occupy the jobs. It's not doing that. You're still there, but more creative endeavors is going to be expected of you. Command or, or real human life experiences on that one. Yeah, we haven't gotten to the Terminator level yet. Let's say that in easy words. Welcome to Altitude, the unsung heroes of cloud transformation, a podcast by Aviatrix. Today, more and more enterprises are moving their business up to the cloud as the race to innovate continues. In this multi-cloud world, IT leaders and teams find themselves behind the wheel where they are confronted with both new challenges and new opportunities. On Altitude, we explore the voices and stories of the people who are overcoming these challenges every day to drive their business to the next level. Be sure to subscribe on your preferred listening app and stay tuned for this episode. Hello and welcome everyone to another awesome episode of Altitude. As always, I'm your host, Woody Woodworth. We have a very special guest on the show today and I'm very excited to work with her and learn more about partnerships. We have Sarah Amir, a partner solutions architect at AWS, who by the way, is also an ambassador for partner AI initiatives. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Woody. I'm so excited to be here and joining you with this great program. My pleasure, absolutely. So Sarah, you and I are kindred spirits in many ways. We both come from a deep networking background. We both began in the industry working in support and then later moved into sales. And you have worked for companies such as Dell and T-Mobile, right? So no stranger to enterprise. Not at all. What attracted you to AWS? What was the reason why you decided to build your next step of the career at AWS versus say another company or another cloud? Well, I'm going to be pretty raw and honest to your question here that AWS's culture was the one I got into, came to know. Our, our One of our leadership principles is being peculiar. And I think that's what attracted me towards that. Okay, I think I am somewhat of that and I can stand or I can hold better. And then I'm finding it pretty well right judgment for that. And then the builder sense, if you are a builder, uh, join AWS, that's another slogan for ourselves. And then, then I find it. It's like um, one more thing to say, you will never get bored at AWS. So, so there's always so many opportunities you can grow and in any creative form. Even I have seen some people not belonging from networking or, or strong background technique like you and myself are thriving here with their creative aspects of it. So that's what the first thing intrigued me towards looking into more detail. So in terms of your role of a partner solutions architect, what kind of partners are you working with at AWS? Is it ISVs that offer networking solutions in the marketplace? Is it system integrators, network service providers, or, or all the above? Currently, I am involved with all of them pretty much. I have been reworking with the SI system integrators more on the GSI, the global SIs. And then ISVs, long tail partners, we also try to bring uh, more rather than the mature partners, we try to work on the long tail ISVs to bring them, help them push forward and get to a level where they want to see and then showcase their success collaboratively well in our in our one of our big events like summits or reinvents. So by long tail, you mean, for lack of a better term, smaller, more independent shops. So not the big whale accounts, but more of the medium to small uh, accounts that still provide value. Is that correct? They still provide value, absolutely. Connected to the right partners, let's say the big whales. Also, besides the working with actual GSIs and also uh, simultaneously, yes. Yeah, interesting. One question before we talk more about partnerships, I'm just curious. 
What is some of your favorite networking kit at AWS? If you had to pick one or two things off the AWS solutions menu, uh, what would you pick? Oh yeah, building something out, app, app building or something, a tool which can help, like maybe it could be in healthcare or any way to ease out. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fanatic for, for AI. Generative AI is my current endeavor I'm involved in. So something to take that, but yeah, our IT networking, when I, one thing I would like to say is involved in every aspect, whether what industry or what you call you pick, networking is involved, even though if I'm, I'm working on, let's say, AI or generative AI perspective, I have to go through with the setting for technical perspective in the backend mechanism through Amazon VPC, AWS VPC. There comes our networking tier, right? So the, uh, anything which has to ease out or, or bring more automation is what my current mindset is on. So what are some of the things that you see partners across all these different facets we discussed bringing the most value to in terms of your customer relationships with AWS? How do partners fit in to the customer journey at AWS and what kind of solutions are they bringing to the table? AWS Marketplace is a place, let's say in easy words, I would say it's uh, it's uh, amazon.com for software solutions for our partners to join and then uh, place their product solutions over there. And then it, that's an open space for everyone to join. Everyone can come and leverage their solutions, check out the details and everything. And bringing those partners up to the speed or, or let's them bring them into this process or onboarding them. We have this APN program where we, we, we collaborate and get in touch with our partners and not only us as a solutions architects, our PDMs, the product managers also get in touch with each partner to enable them with certain steps of this APN uh, journey. Let's say like enabling them, um, getting them aware with all our well-architected AWS program and uh, functionalities, purposes of that. Then training them or their teams for the partners to get more cloud uh, awareness as an evangelist to bring a book, how, how the benefits are put on the table for the partners. Like if you are, let's say one example is migrations, right? And I think you and I can relate more to that. Uh, bringing your your data centers and into cloud, it's going to save you go green aspect of it, money, maintenance, a lot of it. So that's when the we we collaborate and get team up with the partners as a PDM, as a solutions architect, and enable them and inform them. Then 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 comes the second one. Then they actually land into the cloud for AWS. And let's say if they start leveraging some services, which mostly of our AWS services are. Uh, proven to be free tier to start with. And pay-as-you-go model is another a great aspect to, you can only leverage what you're using. This is the whole POC journey I'm describing in a few words. And then once the partner likes it, they can spin up a POC, they can try it out for a few months, and they can finally onboard to the final aspect of being a partner in the APN portal and put their solution on marketplace, interact with other strong network of our partners, and um, that's how they get traction on on their solution. It's a win-win situation. Okay, so you're really involved in kind of the efficacy cycle of partnership to help them build things in AWS that are viable, scalable, that make sense. Do you work directly with end users, AWS customers, or is it mostly just partners you face as a solution architect? Meaning like, do you plus some partner would go to a customer site or attend a customer meeting and say, hey, we know that you've been trying to solve this problem. We have this partner here. We can all build together. Or is it more just you help the partners understand AWS so they build the right way? I think the latter one is correct, Woody. I would say that. 
Me as a partner solutions architect, we are dedicated to our partners, certainly. Yes, customers are definitely dealt in the same manner with our startup essays or regular essays, which are not uh, dealing with partners. Partner solutions architects are more responsible to educate and help out our partners so that they can go ahead and give, educate in the same way to their customers or, or carry on with the information for that. Do you find that most of your partners get cloud and get to AWS right off the bat? Or is there kind of a process you go through to help educate them and remind them that building a cloud is different than, say, building a traditional network in a data center? We do get partners. Uh, and like you said, cloud is still young and thriving. The awareness needs to be as an evangelist, we have to educate them. Like, what are the benefits you're getting from cloud and as compared to? Then we do, uh, as a part of it, we can even show them an example of an assessment, the cost and pricing, which is easier to understand, more, more tangible aspect. Like in the clouds, you will be saving this much. No lab to maintain, nothing hardware. You And un, unmanaged, it's, it's completely fully managed. They don't have to worry about management and maintenance of, of hardware equipment. So that's another way of educating partners and, and, and doing some collaborative webinars to, to pull out the sessions. We do get a lot, of, a lot of potential partners also joining on those sessions as well to get on board. So yeah, this is the way. But once, once the partners are on board, they still need to grow more. Even if they're on APN, yes, all good. They are on board. They are doing it, but they wanted to go. And that's where we as Partner Solutions Architects comes into the picture to work with them collaboratively, like how we can do some internal collaboration of webinars. We can put them on marketplace for more traction, build their uh, marketing and um, ad advertisement side of the deck, and then promote them more with some ACE and accelerated programs and trainings they have to go, to go through. Competency is another strong aspect and suite for partners to achieve, whether depending on their respectively technologies, let's say. If somebody is... Uh, AI, so they have a CAI competency, conversational AI. If somebody is in financial aspect, there is an FSI competency, for example, for each of those industries and verticals, yeah. So you work with Aviatrix, is that correct? That is correct. Are you seeing anything exciting or new or interesting coming out of that engagement? Oh, absolutely. I mean, recently, the last immersion day, we have been working with Aviatrix with solution-focused immersion days. And uh, some of the solution architects from ABS and us, Aviatrix, uh, collaborate. And uh, we, we do enablement sessions with a huge attendee list, and it's always encouraging. Aviatrix security aspects is, is built upon AWS VPC. And that's how we, we come to this collaborative presentation, Immersion Day, for the customers who join to give them the significance of networking aspect, how VPC is built how you can leverage, and then Aviatrix's security prospect on, on top of it, their certification for the secure network comes into the question. And I think so far since February, I have been working each monthly for their um, immersion days, and it's been quite going well. We got some very, very strong and good feedback, even from the ARR increment and everything. So yeah, the journey is going very well. I know AI is a very hot topic, so I want to approach it kind of first from an industry landscape perspective. I would love your feedback on this because you sit in a really critical area in terms of figuring out what's really happening in the industry. I'm sure there was a time when a lot of the designs were around standard networking and connectivity, hybridity, 
right? How does my data center yes. connect to the cloud? And then as time goes on, that might turn more to security. How do I secure my workloads in the cloud? And then now kind of almost out of nowhere, although if you're paying attention, it's not really out of nowhere, but the media has kind of made a big fuss yeah. about it, you know? So are you noticing kind of a stampede among partners to come in and get on the AI bandwagon? Are they turning their conversations more to AI or is it more of a slow, steady ramp? No, I would say the first one, yes, we have recently dealt. It's the new buzzword we say in the market and suddenly it picked up the pace very fast, even though I mean, uh, getting we were simultaneously literally getting ready on our side with, with spinning up sub workshops and partners at the same time on our discovery calls. And yes, all of the partners, even big GSIs, are heavily involved and interested into spin up a POC for their use cases. Some of them I have recently dealt with is more on the financial uh, services industry sector for their insurances company use case customers, one of the big names on that one. So uh, yes, and other partners, they wanted to bring automation. This AI is a feature which can fit into multiple use cases, right? Whether it's a healthcare, whether it's telecom, whether it's a FSI. So yes, I am seeing that. We all are seeing that. And I think our Amazon bedrock was in preview a few months ago. So our partners were very anxious to get access to the preview. We are working on that. Most of them got it for special circumstances. And they are trying to yeah play around in that area to see where it, a best use case scenario can fit in. Yeah. Do you think that, in your opinion, the partners that you're working with really understand the spirit of AI and generative AI, I should say more specifically, in terms of what it's meant for? Do they come to you with stars in their eyes and say, oh, we can't wait for this solution because it's going to be so human-like and so, so intuitive that we can offer these incredible services to our customers versus what, in my experience, I think is happening in the generative AI field right now, which is kind of, if you'll pardon the analogy, it's kind of like Alexa on steroids, meaning it's easy to use, it's fun, it's smart, but there are some limits to what it can really do. It's more of like a productivity assistant than it is, say, an entity that can attend a business meeting and interact with another human and, and fool them. So have they gotten a memo on what AI really means or are they overestimating this capability? You're right. That is what whenever I do a tech talk on AI, generative AI, people or my partner's concern is, and, and I, I don't blame them. Anybody would be confused. Like, how do you differentiate a regular AI ML, which has been there for longer, and what's the difference between generative AI? So as the name says it all, generative AI technology is built on those large language models to generate the information, like ChatGPT. You can put some information, write me a narrative for this topic, and it will, it will pop up something for you. So that's when you bring the generation part into it. Yes, uh, the clarification is like how the biggest sub umbrella is the AI, and then generative AI sits under deep learning and, and that part of it and how it, it leverages from the main machine learning models. Because all of these are foundation models which are utilized uh, or used in generative AI are built from the machine learning models, but more efficiently, where every time uh, the customer or the partner who's leveraging it, they don't have to create and put all that long time into, into creating all that long data sets. This is a pre-trained model given to you 
use it, customize it according to your need and bring out a new scenario out of that is what the foundation model in AI, a generative AI does. So yeah, that aspect comes in. It's interesting you mentioned that. Like so many of us, I read about ChatGPT and then I put a little post-it note to myself, a little memo on my desk, you know, go mess around with ChatGPT Chat GPT at some point. And I finally did. And I was like, okay, it cracked my knuckles. Like, okay, here we go. This thing's cure for world hunger. And I wanted to test it, kind of a two-rig test to see how human-like, anthropomorphic it might be. And so the first question I asked it was current events. I said, what do you think about the Russian invasion of Ukraine? And the answer that came back was startling to me. And it was said, I don't know. I don't have that data yet. My newest data set is from uh, 2021 or something. And then mm-hmm. it just hit me kind of like a hammer. I was like, oh, okay, this isn't that scary. And if it hasn't been trained on the data, it has nothing to say. It doesn't venture outside of those boundaries. So it is a very, I don't want to say brittle, but it is a very finite kind of system. True. And thus, a really good generative AI is basically only as good as the data set that it has been trained on. True. Very true. Let me put it into a human uh, uh, example or comparison perspective. If all the data in the world will take a human uh, more than quite a few lifetimes, or let's say in hours, maybe 82 billion hours, which the same data to read, and you can become that chat GPT after that many hours, but it's more than our lifetimes. That's what generative AI or that AI ML backend mechanism is doing, reading all that data. So anything it provides is it reads that data more efficiently, much quicker than us. And that's how it becomes supreme. But yes, it will only emit the information, the data it has been received. And that's what the the, the term comes in this uh, is like zero shot learning, few shot learning. Zero shot learning is more advised because it's more accurate for the output which you are expecting rather than few shots learning. But zero shot is like you have to, you don't rely on the, on the AI or the generative system, but rather give them straight instructions. If you are trying to generate a picture, okay, give me a picture for, let's say I was doing a tech talk, let me take that example, an astronaut sitting, riding a camel. So don't expect, or if maybe, maybe the generative AI is feeling in that mode or if has that data first, it will put that camel into a desert background or maybe not. But if you really wanted to be specific, that comes a zero shot learning. No, I want that specific camel with an astronaut riding on it into a desert. Then you, this is zero shot. You're not leaving any vague information or, or creativity behind. So that's how it's, it's going to be more accurate. So yes, there is so much human effort involved, but more on a creative aspect. You have to train it or give it a command in a way to get that output out of it. Now I'm totally going to go mess around with AI and give it a non-zero shot (laughs) attempt at doing an astronaut on a camel. I want that in my bedroom. That is awesome. (laughs) That's a very peculiar idea, right? So yeah, three different things you're combining together. So yeah. I do get a lot of questions asked, and I'm I'm pretty sure it's the elephant in the room, so let's recognize it, that a lot of cadence is that AI is going to retrieve or occupy the jobs. So that's when I give this example. It's not doing that. You're still there, but more creative endeavors is going to be expected of you. Command or or real human life experiences on that one. So yeah, we haven't gotten to the Terminator level yet. Let's say that in easy words. Yeah, no Skynet yet. No Skynet yet. Yeah, hopefully not in our lifetime or my children's (laughs) lifetime. If, If we all do the right thing together as 
citizens of this new AI world, we hopefully can avoid that outcome. I do think, though, that humans, especially with cutting-edge technology, have this terrible talent of, what is the saying? Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. (laughs) So we create these incredible things that have all this potential, and it doesn't take long for some of us to figure out, oh, I can do some really terrible stuff with this. That's awesome. That kind of brings me to my next line of questioning about AI is security in AI, right? Obviously, AI is very powerful. It chews through massive amounts of data, as you said, at a speed that a human really can't accomplish in his or her lifetime that's reasonable and gives us access to vast amounts of data in a very streamlined, efficient, interactive way. But Behind all that lurks the fact that this capability, this service, has access to a tremendous amount of data. Yes, absolutely. Any thoughts about the concerns with that? Do you hear partners bringing that to the table? Like you said, you are doing helping uh, some partners with their solutioning for AI for insurance. Now, there's a body of data that has a lot of sensitivity to it, right? Think about medical insurance or health insurance. That's HIPAA protected. There's a lot of private personal data there. What kinds of conversations are you having around this topic? Uh, To answer that in the easy words, I would say besides all that, like I said before, compliance has been provided on top of it. AWS or or the SageMaker environment, what it does, like for example, let's consider you as a partner or a customer. You uploaded your large language model data, which the environment you're working on in SageMaker. What Jumpstart will do is never expose your original data set. It will make another copy of your data set, which we are, you're trying to fine tune it. And then even yourself to be produced. And so not even by accident that made the, the very original data set, which you have uploaded, would be able to expose out. It's, it's completely hidden. And uh, in order, for example, let's say foundation models concept is to get one pre-trained model. And then you and I both can leverage that with our own customized use case scenarios. If I wanted to see a revenue, maybe you wanted to see the strength or or attendance, something like that in a data set. So you, we can still use that, but it's never the original data set which the customer have uploaded. That's that's pretty safe and not exposed. So that's how it's even by accident. Not not neither you and I can get each other's data. Plus, a model provider ID and ID is very specific. So it has to go through that generated ID in the backend mechanism to further be shared. And, and that is tied to your account. So it cannot be leveraged by anybody else unless within the environment for the ease of access and, and working with your, your peers, you can share it. But that's your account as a partner or customer for your company, for your team. Plus our uh, AWS security shared model comes into the picture where the customer or the partner is responsible for their data to maintain on their end. But inside the cloud is your own environment, which nobody can have access to. Okay, last question. What is your favorite project that you've ever had the pleasure of working on during your career at AWS? Favorite? Yeah, that's a tough one to choose, but I have multiple. Yes, some of them are AI, but the recent one I would like to mention, I'm preparing and I'm really enjoying it. To the most, I would say, which I'm about to present for reInvent this year, hopefully in November, is the, uh, thank you, uh, Generative BI, uh, and integrated into Amazon QuickSight for our stakeholders, shareholders uh, perspective. 
Previously joining to AWS, I used to be in T-Mobile and then that, that area, the sector I was doing as working as a solutions architect was majorly dependent on BI business intelligence and more on the end user back office stakeholders information, like how Tableau and all these information to give them those, uh, what, what they're supposed to receive, what is the generated table information, how much of the customer shown. So this pers uh, perspective has been enlarged in Amazon QuickSight service. And what we, I'm trying to, I have been asked to integrate Gen AI to turn into BI, Gen BI, let's say. So this way, uh, the, the great feature on that one is everybody's used to see the stakeholder and that data information in pie charts, tables, graphs, right? One step ahead, what Amazon QuickSight is bringing as a new feature to be launched uh, very soon is create stories for that. You can just type text like generative AI in QuickSight with its feature Q. And you can say, show me the revenue generated for services discount in healthcare. So what it's going to do, it's going to initiate a PDF document with some visuals and some prescriptive data. And it's a whole PDF. You can download that PDF and send it to your, your leadership right away. You don't have to work through the PDF and only visuals. Everything is all combined to in one go. And that is what I love about it. It's like very wholesome and purposeful achievement, I felt. So that's what my favorite, I would say for now. Oh, that's huge. So no more pivot tables, right? No more like going to a spreadsheet and like pivot, pivot, pivot and doing this whole thing. Just... Even, even tabular data. Yeah. Yeah, just images or stability, right? You, well, who's going to work for the tabular boring kind of a data? We we consider, but that's very important. All, all companies have it on the back end for the stakeholders and leaderships to look at how the revenue was done, how the company is doing. So let's see in that perspective, on uh, healthcare example, I'm currently working on a huge data set for that for my demo on in reInvent. And uh, that what it, uh, it gave me a wonderful PDF, um, meaningful PDF with descriptive information, what are the significances in the market for that and how our services discount helped us generate more revenue. And it, it shows many visuals of that, which you have already provided as insights. And then it give, give you PDF text information. So all combined together as a wholesome document for, for uh, and, and user perspective. Wow, super exciting, Sarah. You are right in the coolest spot in the industry, I think, working with some of the coolest technology and the coolest people. So I'm very jealous of your job. Sarah, thank you for coming on the show and spending the time with me on this topic. It's very fascinating. Hope to catch you on another episode in the future and also hope to see you at reInvent. Absolutely. And uh, it's been an honor joining you. Thank you so much for having me, Woody. And yes, see me here. I would hope to hopefully see you again very soon. All right. Thank you. Take care.